and um, so the water didn't turn all the way off when I went to unhook the the valve and hook it up to the new part. So anyway, I was Go banned. Ahead. I was I was banned from from Formally attempting banned. from attempting anything to do with plumbing at least. And she's she's suspicious too of just of my attempts at carpentry and auto mechanicry and all, all all that other stuff. So that's thing number one. And then thing number two is yes, nesting instinct, but also I don't want any strangers in the house. And so so yes. it's this catch twenty it's this catch twenty two. Um, but we're we're finally getting some. The, some the way you deal with up. this, by the way, is that you have one handyman who is just exactly. able to do all of the things, and that exactly way... that. That there's a position of there's a relationship of trust and all that stuff. Exactly. And there, yeah, I, I've got a guy for you. I mean, he's yeah. usually really busy. You have to schedule a couple months uh -huh. out, but he's a great guy that we've been doing stuff with for a few years that we got from a neighbor. Oh, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, no, it's it's always good to have a guy. There's um, there I got a, a guy get you a price. There was a Reddit. Because I've told him he has relationship insurance for for myself and, <laughs> yeah. and my wife that. You know, if he messes it up, then, you know, but he's the expert. But if I were to do the same thing, you know, then it's, you know, it's it's problematic. That's the issue. The, the, the issue, the issue that I deal with is that whenever anything is, is uh, dirty or does anything wrong, like it, it does, you know, the, 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 uh, the washer, the dryer, the, you know, dishwasher, et cetera, whenever anything is going wrong, the answer is to purchase a new one. And, and <laughs> that, that is a very expensive solution. And so my, yeah. my, uh, constant endeavors to make the minor changes and buy the correct valves and do the, you know, little maintenance kind of things to make sure that that does not happen is key. But there was a Reddit thread that was going around recently that was like, uh, if, if someone were to give you a call, uh, because they were asked, you know, uh, because they were asked a question and said, I've got a guy for that. What what would you be the guy for? And I <laughs> and I think that that's actually a really good test. And because the actual thing for me would be I would be the guy to find you the guy. <laughs> that, and that's that's useful. It's a little like that question, you know, if you were transported back in time to 18 you know, 72 on the Western frontier, what would you do for a living? Mm. You know, and, and, you know, the joke answer is die of tuberculosis, but it's pretty <laughs> close to, it's pretty close to true, you know, for a lot of us. So I'd have, I'd really have to think about what I'm the, I'm the guy for like what practical, I guess I could be like a, like a, uh, like a campfire cook, you know, run the chuck wagon on the, on the trail or something. But um, I think, I think I am the guy, I'm the guy who uh, can tell you, whether whether the whether the meat is done <laughs> <laughs> just from looking at it yeah <laughs> so uh, so it's it's useful you know <laughs> that, yeah. that's not done <laughs> um so uh this is thunderdome and we have a, a series of things to talk about but before i get into that series of things i just have to ask you both have you partaken of the footage from ufc 290 uh where you know, I, I I realized that there were actual fights going on, uh, but uh, including a couple of good ones. But the actual show was the arrival of of always President Donald Trump uh, and and his uh, uh, greeting as a conquering hero walking into the arena to Kid Rock's American badass, um, which, by the way, I had forgotten includes the line about not stuttering. <laughs> which which seems very pointed um but it, it, greeted by you know uh, scores of ufc uh uh fans but also you know a salute from mel gibson uh he does he does that uh alpha grip thing with uh, joe rogan 
Mark Wahlberg comes up to talk to him about something. He talks to the busting with the boys from uh, Barstool. Uh, Shane Gillis gets a picture with him where he's wearing a Versace shirt and clearly has a dip in his pocket. Uh, and uh, yeah, basically just the, the whole thing is, is just like Trump in his, in his element. And when I uh, tweeted out the, the footage of it, Patrick Ruffini, uh, our good friend uh, responded, uh, he's the biggest celebrity in the world. And it really does take you back to that like Obama critique but it's also true. And it's something that I think is almost impossible to see anybody overcoming. Uh, so I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, but I'm just curious as to both of your thoughts. Yeah, I think the, the, I did, I did see it. I mean, so it, his element. Yeah. I mean, don't, let's not forget he had a WWF. I think it was WWF back then, not WWE, but he had a WWF storyline with Vince McMahon before he was president. And not only was he kind of okay in that role, like kind of actually pretty good, uh, as far as those things go, but it, it just felt right. Like that's, it felt like exactly the sort of thing he was supposed to be doing and, and take that, take from that what you will. So there was, there's a sense in which, yeah, that's absolutely his environment, but, but Gillis is kind of the perfect microcosm of, of the effect there, because, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always wondering, you know, I, I think it's much closer to the fact that Trump's voters don't take politics seriously than that they take it as a there's this thought that you know trump trump's hardcore base takes politics as this kind of schmidtian you know not to get five dollar word on you but like all or nothing um existential crisis you know flight 93 mm. and he's the man for the job i actually think it's much closer to the truth that they don't take politics seriously at all yes and that and that and that they think it's kind of a permanent plutocracy that runs the show that it's not going to have any necessarily real uh, effect on their lives, which they feel fairly well in control of, um, at least in terms of the sort of nuts and bolts stuff that matters on a day-to-day basis. And that to the extent that that consensus is going to have a negative effect on their lives on things like, you know, culture war fights, then a guy like Trump is exactly the kind of, you know, megaphone that you want, the kind of cudgel that you want on your side. And I think the, the, the UFC thing is kind of evidence for that thesis and Shane Gillis in particular, because, you know, we, we're fan, we're all fans of his. Um, I think Ben, especially you are, you did that yeah. profile on him, but he, you know, his I just, whole, uh, by the way, I just was actually at the taping of his, uh, of his special uh, in Tyson's corner of all places. Um, yeah. uh, and, uh, and I will just tell you, I don't, I don't know what you know the rules are in talking about specials. I, I won't tell you any of his jokes, but there is a series of jokes that is prefaced by, I'm not a Republican yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, he's the right. He's the perfect Rust Belt, you know. Yeah. You know, kind of blue blue dog, uh, you know, trending Republican, you know, uh, kind of voter that like Tim Carney wrote about, you know. Um, but but that's the that's the idea. So so Gillis's relationship with Trump is kind of ironic, right? And it's it's at a remove, it's at a distance. Um, it's kind of half serious, you know, his bits are all like, you know, you got to admit he's funny, you know, mm-hmm. my dad, like my dad sure likes him. There's all this sort of, there's all this sort of ancillary stuff, this sort of, uh, um, stuff that isn't the, the meat, but the, but it's the dressing and the trimmings around it that, that a guy like Gillis likes about Trump, but he does, like you said, I'm not a Republican yet. He doesn't go all the way to say, 
and his policies are good and he should be president again. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, at an event like UFC, like, yeah, it's like, here's this is hilarious, right? Look at this guy. This is really he's coming funny. out to Kid Rock. <laughs> he's coming out to Kid Rock. He DGAF more than anybody else DGAF. And you know, we we're all ramped, we're all pumped up with adrenaline and, and testosterone, getting ready to watch some people break each other's cheekbones. And uh yeah, this is great, you know, but I but I don't know that it it's you know evidence for the other thesis, which is like, you know, this this is our King David, you know. Mm. So so <laughs> John, you are you are an actual uh as as our actual Rust Beltian uh Pittsburghian uh, perspective on this. Uh tell tell me what you think of this. So I think that the, the 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 UFC thing I think is is illustrates that his you know sort of his core constituency I mean in, in as much as that was an illustration of it is still very much with him, um, but you know at the same time you look at Pennsylvania in uh, twenty twenty and or twenty twenty two rather and you know Trump's guy you know, Doctor Oz who who probably didn't really fit the sort of the MAGA archetype. Um, you know, lost to John Fetterman, who you know was, you know, handicapped by a pretty serious medical condition that you know <laughs> still limiting his, you know, limiting his ability to. Yeah, I was going to say was is not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. is <laughs> well, what was during the campaign? Um, yeah. so I I think that I think a Trump coalition has to be sort of the UFC crowd plus, and I don't I still don't see Trump being interested or willing to make the pivot. To figure out what that plus is, because I think that the plus last time was the UFC crowd plus people that didn't like Hillary Clinton. Um, this time, I don't, I don't, I still think that Joe Biden is insufficiently polarizing um, to to be able to run that playbook. Again, there could be a black swan event that happens with the economy, although you know the inflation numbers obviously looking better. Um, whether it's with you know some sort of international incident. Um, or you know just the you know President Biden's own health. Um, I, I do. I think I would part ways, and this this may surprise you guys a little bit on the the whether they take it. I, I think it's true, you know, Dan, that they don't. Trump's voters don't take politics seriously in the way of oh, you know if we're reading journals or discussing you know the you know a child tax credit you know those kind of things. And you know that's something that I wish more Americans wanted to you know, do and pay attention to, but, but Sean Trendy, um, who I think has gotten a lot of stuff really right, more so than probably any other sort of political analyst over the last 10 or 15 years, had a, had a piece that was part of a series that the Cato had, uh, and it was back in 2013 and Trendy's one part of it is called, uh, don't voters get things right. And he basically makes a case, which I think is pretty compelling of, you know, the voters don't need to have a position on each granular thing if they know thematically you know republicans are the party of lower taxes or that democrats mm -hmm. are the party of you know less restrictions on abortion that they have enough of those sort of guardrails and they they'll pick a candidate that meets those preferences and i i think that you know i think that there is at this point a a series of things that make up trumpism even if they're not necessarily well defined and, and part of it is appealing to people that maybe don't take politics seriously because you know there's no reason for them to because they've been getting hosed you know decade after decade you know it, it's sort of the new forgotten man where you are not part of the elite class that gets the set 
the norms that we live by that doesn't dictate the entertainment that we watch that doesn't entertain you know doesn't dictate the curriculum um that is your, your kids are taught and god forbid you try to have an opinion on any of that kind of stuff or the department of justice is going to come looking at you as a domestic terrorist you know at the behest of the school board association yeah well it's, so, it's kind of like it's kind of like the people who dislike affirmative action and then also dislike legacy admissions yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think that like, I think there's a pl- I think that the Trump campaign and, and it's I think, you know, I, I heard Chris Lasivita on a, a podcast, you know, a couple of weeks ago, sort of laying things out. I think he's got a much more serious group of people around him. Trump does this time that are actual real operatives that are winners. Mm-hmm. Um I ran into Paul Manafort last night. I think he would disagree with you, but (laughs) I mean, I don't know any man that's wearing an ostrich coat. I don't know if I can, you know, put a whole lot of credence in that. I'm surprised you could hear him through the. Yeah, I'm surprised you could hear him through the prison glass, right? (laughs) No, no, he was having cigars. It was was great. Um, So I I, wait. Though can I? I'll just say. I'll just say one more thing that I think the 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 one piece that's missing there is the is. You know, we, there's been a lot of a lot of um, belly aching, and and some of it justified with with you know the candidates who predated uh, Trump and the for the Republican presidency, and 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 that they were all kind of compromise centrist, more centrist candidates. And um, I mean, going back to W and 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 uh, you know at, at least that far. So, but the one piece that's missing from the voters get things thematically right is that Trump's voters seem uniquely not to care about whether or not he's electable. I mean, this is a guy who himself ran the party with a suicide vest on the whole time, basically. Like, you know, try try and dislodge me from the head of this party. I'll take all of you MFers down with me, right? And his his diehard base basically agrees with that. And it's going to be our guy or or we're going to watch the whole thing burn. And that's a, that's a unique phenomenon about them. I mean, even Bernie bros aren't aren't that... Don't take that position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the, the the piece to me that's missing, and and to me evidence for the thesis that it's not about winning for them. It really isn't. It's about being entertained. Are you not entertained? You know. <laughs> but I think the, the the positive spin on that again, though, is that for them, having somebody be willing to say the thing, yeah. is 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 an end in and of itself. That yes. he is the guy that is going to say the unsayable thing that ever that a lot of people you know may believe in in any particular case, but that you know anyone else that said it out loud would be unpersoned or fired from their job or you know you'd be getting mean messages from the Chardonnay moms you know it, on the PTA on Facebook. Yeah, um, and to and- give him credit where it's due, he he has expanded the range of the possible in Republican politics. I mean, dramatically. So you, but, no, probably not on purpose, but yeah, you have to give him credit for that for that exact I, reason. And I think one person who's really kind of hit on this is you know friend of the pod, you know Liam Donovan, um, that you know has noted that is there really an appetite for you know the DeSantis model of I'm Trump, but I actually get stuff done. When it seems like a lot of Trump's voters are happy with Trump just saying the thing mm-hmm. um, or being a symbol of the thing or, uh, you know, as Ben wrote about a bunch in 2016 of being sort of the strong man for you. Right. Um, it, and that might be sufficient. I think that's sufficient for a large chunk of people. I don't know that I believe that all of the Trump guys sit at home if there's some non-Trump candidate. Actually, I don't think a lot of them do. I mean, it still becomes a binary um, and I think there are different paths to the presidency. I think in 2016, I think we've we've sort of like retconned it to believe that Trump's map was the only map that 
could have won. And I think there were probably other ways to do it. There are other ways to win Pennsylvania, you know, as Pat Toomey showed, um, running, you know, simultaneous to, to the president, President Trump in 2016. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's got to find a way to, to add to add to that mix. And uh, well, you know, I think his I think his guys are with him. I mean, and that, and that actually is maybe the, the counterpoint on this is you've already got those. You've already got the UFC guys with you. You got to pivot to figure out a way to get the 50 plus one. Yeah. And I, I just don't see any evidence that they're, you know, yeah. I, I don't know that those voters are available after the last few years a, a, anyway, but I also just don't see a strategy for, for getting them, but mm -hmm. I digress. So, so uh, I would like to uh, stealing a bit from uh, the fine folks at uh, pardon uh, the interruption, uh, Tony Kornheiser uh, and Mike Wilbon. I would like to play a, a round of, of role play with both of you. Uh, I am rolling a D8 to determine uh, who gets uh, which one of the other eight candidates other than uh, Trump and DeSantis. <clears throat> um, so uh, let's see. Uh, so Dan Foster, you are Nikki Haley. You no. are uh, currently polling an RCP average of 3.5%. Um, you are not particularly uh, shining in terms of, of your role, even though you had uh, some some decent money to start with and some decent backers. Why are you in this race? Uh, I'm in I'm in the race because I was supposed to be because this was the trajectory that I embarked upon 10 years ago. And even though all of American politics was turned on its head, uh, up became down, left became right, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Uh, I am locked into that path, the path that came with the kind of uh, medium and high dollar donors who wanted to see a, a woman, a diverse face, um, a, uh, you know, refreshing, positive, optimistic uh, candidate. Um, a southern, you know, with with a with a charming southern accent, um, a kind of folksy Meg Whitman, you know, kind of a kind of a deal. Um, all all of those donors had my back then. I started out on a particular trajectory. A Category Five hurricane named Donald J. Trump entered the scene at some point, and I attempted to pivot uh, to accommodate this new reality, but never really fully committed. I, I became neither fish nor fowl at a certain point and lost a lot of respect from the kind of centrist establishmentarians who worked for me and supported me before, but never was really embraced or beloved by the uh, the Trump voter, uh, even as I you know uh, attempted to aid his um, agenda in, in office. And so it's really path dependence for me. And uh, I, I was I was told, you know, that that I had a great shot at this thing and that my fail state would be vice president. And there's still a little bit of a chance of that. So I'm holding on for dear life. But mainly it's because I don't want to admit that the world has fundamentally changed since the day I decided, hey, I could be president. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good summation. Uh, but the, the real question for me is, do you think that you're going to drop out before South Carolina? Is there any scenario where you don't stay on hanging on, white-knuckling it uh, to get to your home state? I, probably, I'm going to say, yes, I will drop out before South Carolina because mm. I'm going to do embarrassingly badly in the, in, the, in the early states. I mean, I might fall all the way off the map. I might be a rounding error in some mm. of these states, uh, especially because it's all going to happen on the other side of the debates. 
And I expect that to be the DeSantis and Christie and Trump show with maybe one other wild card. But I'm not poised to be that wild card because I'm a little bit too rehearsed and a little bit too neither this nor that to really uh, occupy any lane that either the media or voters can identify and summarize. John, you are Vivek Ramaswamy. You Your RCP average is 2.5%. Um, you have been... Uh, basically accused of being just kind of the the uh, stalking horse for Donald Trump, uh, echoing him in certain respects in terms of attacks on Ron DeSantis uh, and uh, and generally on certain topics. Uh, you are a a businessman from Ohio who uh, m- multiple sort of takes have been you know uh, probably should have run for the Senate there, uh, maybe felt blocked out by Bernie Marino. Um, but uh, the, the situation is you, you're at 2.5%. You're on every bit of media that you can get a hold of. Uh, why are you still in this race? Because Donald J. Trump is the greatest thing that's ever happened to America. And he needs a hype guy on the stage to to, to amen that. Um, <laughs> and I want to be Commerce Secretary um, mm. or or have some sort of cabinet level job. And in the event that something were to happen, that Trump were to drop out of the race, I want to be the guy that in, inherits as the sort of natural Trump guy. And I, look, look what I've been able to do on, you know, I've been part of you know a small group of people on the right who have made ESG a, a toxic term and has had an impact. And I've got my finger on where the, the zeitgeist is uh, among Republican primary voters of things that motivate them on, on sort of those kind of intersection of, of culture and business concerns. Um, and again, I, you know, I, I bring a, a younger face, a s- successful businessman, a, a minority, somebody that is from the industrial Midwest in Ohio. Um, I, I'm, I'm a younger version of the American success story that our greatest president ever, Donald J. Trump, um, <laughs> has, has illustrated. You know, I, I I think that's I think that's a, one of the best impressions I've heard of a fake uh, one. Uh, one thing that I do think sticks out, though, is, uh, you know, th- candidacies like this that are sort of meant to not, you know, really be taken seriously. There's always that point of of sort of why is this person still hanging around? Um, and with the self-funding aspect of this, I expect that he'll be around a little longer than than some of the others uh, might have been. But there is kind of a I, I think that the voters who say they like him, he's always their like third or fourth choice. You know, and so there's there's a little bit of that uh, going on. Um, Dan, you are Mike Pence. Mike Pence is actually doing uh, pretty decently. He's uh, in six point three percent in the RCP average. Um, uh, his uh, the general impression is that he's overperforming a little bit in Iowa at the moment. Uh, why are you in this race? Because I'm overperforming in Iowa, and I think <laughs> I actually have an outside shot to finish. Let's call it second there. I mean, the main reason I'm in this race is because America needs to heal. And I and I, and I was ordained by our Lord and Savior uh, and and blessed by uh, by mother to 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 to, to take on this mantle. Um, I you know, I, I, I served as Donald J. Trump's vice president because I wanted to be a steady and experienced hand uh, next to this political neophyte who I had you know grave concerns about. But was willing to um, give a give a fair shake to. I served him him loyally, 
and uh, all the way up to the end. And uh, I'm honestly not even that mad uh, that he called for my hanging. I'm actually <laughs> taking it quite. I actually took it quite well and with uh, a great deal of uh, equanimity. Um, so I, I think I think the country needs to heal. I, I come from a from a different generation of Republican politicians. I believe that the moral majority still exists. I think that evangelicals are still the dominant force in the Republican Party. And uh, I think we can put this whole ugliness of the last 10 years behind us and that I'm the man for that job. I, I, <laughs> uh, the, you know, the ordained thing, it's it's so funny how uh, uh, it's so funny how the media covers whatever Christians just sort of use like very typical language for evangelicals about, you know, like I prayed on it and I and I felt, you know, God guiding me towards this. And then they run with it as if it's some kind of bizarre you know, sort of thing when it's like you know who who do you i mean come on this is the sort of thing that, that that just about every president in american history probably used that type of language you know and uh and sure. it's one of, and, and it's uh it's very odd though to hear it uh to hear it voiced you know again in the context of our of our ufc approach to politics um the one well, thing this I, is this is yeah. Yeah, this is Dan now, not 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 Mike Pence. But I but I when I when I say ordained, yeah, I don't I don't mean like he's got some sort of messiah complex. But I but I, I think absolutely that 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 you know Christian Americans, um, including like you said, pretty much all of the ones that serve in politics, think that you know God has God has a plan for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's when I say that it's much closer to a kind of George H W Bush noblesse oblige. Like I have been I've been gifted and privileged in many ways in my life. And I owe a service to the institutions that have shaped me and nurtured me. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I do think that's absolutely what motivates um, Pence. I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of caricaturing the evangelical bit uh, for the purpose of the role play, but I do think that that's what's pushing him into it is that he thinks he's got a role to play in healing the nation. Mm -hmm. Um. John, you uh, <laughs> you are Asa Hutchinson. You are currently polling at RCP average zero point eight. <laughs> uh, you uh, there is there is not a situation here where you are even uh, getting up to a digit uh, in terms of uh, any kind of early polling. Uh, you are uh, you know perhaps on the cusp of missing the first debate in terms of the qualifications there. Why are you in this race? Yeah, because I thought it would be a fun thing to do. I mean, it's, I'll be honest. I mean, there's been so little coverage of him. Um, and I feel like it's it's funny, right, for somebody who had been, um, you know, a, a multi-term governor, somebody who's had like a He has a good, long political career. He's not yeah, like one of, yeah. That, that you know, that is just not being, that is not a serious candidate, you know, that has a serious resume, but is, you know, it, it's, he's Doug Burgum that got in too early, but it doesn't have the money. Um, I, you know, is, is I, I it's hard to role play because I, I really don't understand it for him. Um, mm -hmm. unless, unless there is something that he really has to say that we don't know about that, that wants that platform to, to say it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where I, I just, I mean, I don't get the point. It's like, if you, if you want to be a lobbyist, just be a lobbyist. You know, I mean, it's it doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, it's brand it's brand building, right? I mean, here's this is a guy who 
peaked, I think, not even during his governorship, but probably during the Clinton impeachment. He was one of the House managers, right? And he was great. I remember as as a kid watching his questions, I thought this guy's great. Um, and uh, so, you know, but it but it does seem like it's a a, a branding exercise, and that's the 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 trick to to distinguishing like the guy the the guys and gals who don't have a chance is do they know they don't have a chance, right? Are they mm-hmm. are they victims of their own ego? Are they victims of the handful of uh of strategists that they that, that that they're paying to advise them who are kind of worm tonguing them into believing that they they've got a path um or do they know that they don't have a chance and this is a branding exercise which which i mean to be fair is about 70 percent of political candidacies period in this country now in national races nationalized races but i think the problem dan for somebody and this may be you know hutchinson's calculus is you know there are two republican senators right now in, in Arkansas. And, um, you know, I, I know that, that Senator Bozeman is, is a little bit older, but, you know, Tom Cotton is a young guy and, you know, unless he runs for president, he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Bozeman is 72. So, you know, maybe, but, you know, you're already, if your future is in Arkansas politics, you're already relevant there. So why take on, um, you know, why take on an unnecessarily loss? You know, maybe he gets out before, um, Iowa or New Hampshire. Maybe he, you know, parlays this into maybe maybe he wants to be. I, I think he had been uh, deputy secretary or assistant secretary in Homeland Security. Maybe he wants the you know the the big desk there. Um, but you know, there's he, his paths are kind of blocked as far as what a logical next move is. So I mean, uh, you know, at, at this point, is is this just him kind of buying a lottery ticket? Yeah, I think there's definitely there's definitely something about that going on. Uh, let's see. So um, uh, let's go. Uh, uh, who wants to be Tim Scott? <laughs> let John be Tim Scott. He no, John, you you can be Tim Scott because uh, it actually came up Dan, but I, he already did a South Carolinian. Your turn. <laughs> so uh, my theory of the case is that the way to win the president presidency for Republicans is to nominate somebody who has an optimistic version of the future, but who doesn't see things through rose-colored glasses. Uh, I have been aggressive on ESG issues. I have been with conservatives, you know, where sort of the really kind of the core of the conservative movement is more often than not. Um, I am a a black man who has lived the American dream and believe it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just I, I I've always wanted to hear you say that, John. I was, <laughs> I was, I was born a poor black child in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> but yeah, you know, as, as, as Tim Scott, you know, I've I, I've lived the American dream, and I want to I, I want to tell that story in a different way than Donald Trump has as a as a, a younger guy, as a black Republican who won in South Carolina, where you know politics ain't beanbag. Where I have, you know, have been potentially now the dominant figure in South Carolina Republican politics for the last few years, where I don't want to take on President Trump directly. I'm going to let other people do that. Whereas I, I am probably a better VP candidate than Nikki Haley is because mm-hmm. I'm a newer, fresher face. And worst case scenario or best case scenario, Ron DeSantis continues to have a failure to launch and i emerge as a consensus not trump conservative who can make a case around electability and just a new face for the party worst case is i'm 
the vice presidential nominee. And if Trump wins again, I'm the guy in 2028. If Trump loses, I'm also probably the guy in 2028, or at least in a poll position for that. Yeah, I certainly think that that's uh, that's a viable aspect. Um, so uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to put uh, a, a choice to you, Dan. You get to be either Larry Elder or Doug Burgum. Which one of these? Which one of these uh, sub one uh, RCP average candidates would you like to be? I'm Doug Burgum, and I'm just happy to be here. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I really. I want to thank you guys for in, for inviting me to the uh, tertiary uh, debate uh, stage here in the livestock pavilion uh, at the Iowa County Fair. And <laughs> now, I I I I I, uh, I I'm a serious guy with interesting ideas, and I've made the terrible mistake of thinking that that's what a presidential race is about. Um, <laughs> and so I'm here to I'm here to <laughs> I'm here to talk very earnestly uh, and forthrightly about um, ideas that I have for improving the lives of the American people. And it's it's like I uh, it's like I always say, what do we want? Uh, prudent change. When do we want it? In the fullness of time. <laughs> oh my. You know, we we are so at a remove from a point where being a governor a successful governor was a launching pad to being president. It's so funny to look back at, you know, prior contests where, you know, uh, senators and and house of and, and representatives were discounted uh, because they had not, you know, ever run a state or been an executive. And that that was a serious element of, of yeah. analysis in terms of, you know, well, you know, I mean, they all they have to do is vote on things. They don't have to run things. Uh, and, uh, and now that is completely gone. Uh, and so finally, uh, we've all been waiting for this. Uh, John, you are Chris Christie. Why are you in this race? You are averaging currently around 2.5% uh, in uh, the RCP average, though you are overperforming that number significantly in uh, New Hampshire, uh, according to some polls. Um, you are already uh, easily in third there uh, and uh, and certainly have a shot at, at supplanting uh, DeSantis if you continue on your trend the fastball right over the middle and i love it um <laughs> i'm in this race because everyone else is too scared to tell the truth that donald trump is a loser that he has been responsible for republicans losing the presidency in 2020 that he is responsible for republicans failing to win the senate in recent elections that i i look I, i'm i'm blunt and i'm honest i, I got pushed out of helping run the transition for the president because I put Jared's dad in jail for doing disgusting things to his brother-in-law, um, things that you know, deserve to put him in jail. And I've got an ax to grind, and I'm not shy about that. Um, but I'm also somebody who has proven, read the stories, read the stories in the press about when I was Donald Trump's debate uh, prep guy for, for two, two times through, and no one can get under Donald Trump's skin the way that I can. And the only things that Donald Trump respects are intelligence and strength. And I'm the guy that's going to bring that to the stage because everyone else is too afraid to say those things. I'm the guy that will go into any room and is going to tell the truth as I see it. And if it's, you know, the Faith and Freedom Coalition doesn't like it, then that's too damn bad because they just don't want to see have the blinders fall off their eyes that they're thrown in with a guy who is going to who is will lose to a guy whose favorable rating is below 40 percent. 
I look, uh, I think that was rock solid and dead on and 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 as best be, good a case as can be made for Christie. I if if I if it the honor had fallen on me, I was gonna go Doran Martell and just go vengeance, justice, <laughs> fire and blood. <laughs> um you know, after hearing all of these, it seems to me that one of the big challenges uh for Ron DeSantis, who we I don't think either of you have to role play as because, you know, obviously he's clearly in second. He's, you know, he's his RCP average is 21 points. Um, he has one hundred and fifty million dollars in terms of the combo between his campaign and the super PAC. And, you know, it's there's no reason for him to not run, uh, in other words. But when you look at kind of the the rationales of the rest of these candidates, Six of them basically have good rationales for why they should stay in the race, which is a tough thing for him. And uh, and I think going to be a real challenge, especially when it comes to that South Carolina situation. If you assume for the sake of the argument that given Trump's attacks on Iowa officials uh, and uh, and, you know, needling Kim Reynolds and you know some of these other things that he's doing, that Trump is anticipating losing Iowa again. Um, and I think that that's very possible and probably likely at this point. What you have is a DeSantis win in Iowa, a Trump win in New Hampshire, and then it comes to South Carolina. And I think if this race still has all these same people in it, that that's a really hard situation for DeSantis. Um, and you don't normally see someone come off a significant South Carolina loss uh, to you know go into a Florida win. Uh, and Florida obviously is is kind of all the marbles. I mean, it's winner take all. Yeah, and 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 you know the the Iowa is easy in twenty twenty four in the sense that if Trump wins Iowa, it's all all over. I mean, it's it's all over. Like, yeah. I think kind of immediately. Um, and I, I I the only thing I'd say about DeSantis is I mean he obviously it's not news he he suffered from um from a a, a problem of really outsized expectations. And probably got in the race a little a little bit too late. I, I don't think that would have been dispositive. I mean, we've just seen where the polls are. But um, the the problem for him was that everyone sort of believed he would clear the field. And partially as a function of him getting in a little later than a lot of people wanted him to, but partially as a function of just him being seen, you know, the, the reality that he wasn't he wasn't going to, you know, pull 50 50 with Trump he failed to clear the field. And so he created this problem for himself a little bit by, um, you know, not being more aggressive and not, and not making, you know, not sealing the deal early. Yeah. I think um, that's right, Dan, if he had, if he had gotten in. So I think two parts, one, if he had gotten in earlier, particularly when he was still in his 2022 sort of halo period, um, I think that maybe wouldn't have cleared the field, but I think would have, it would have been a position of more strength for him at that point. But I think that this is interesting. I'd be kind of curious what, you both think that there's a lot of people in this field that are running to be VP or in the cabinet. Um, because I don't, I think most of these people have been successful politicians that they're, they're, they're not dumb folks. And, um, you know, they can read a poll the same as we can. Uh, DeSantis is right. Is he's, you know, advance or die, you know, he is Trump's antagonist and, you know, whether he realizes it or not, he's burned the ships or at least should burn the ships. But, you know, and for, for Mike Pence, right? I mean, he he did burn the ships on January sixth in in one of the most noble acts of statesmanship I think we've seen recently. That 
you know, against the tide of, you know, his his own president, his boss, and you know, a lot, considerable amount of public opinion in his party. By the way, I, just let me interject. I assume you saw that interaction with that Trump voter that he had just a couple of days ago. Uh, I have not seen that. In, in, no. Well, it was it was you should go back and watch it just because it's very much it's as if he's re he's responding in a way that I think is probably going to be the basis of whatever he says on the debate stage, which where he says, you know, uh, I appreciate and respect your opinion, but with all due respect, what you're saying about the Constitution is wrong. And and it you know he just goes dun, 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 down the list of like you know I I've never had the right to do this no future vice president no past vice president had the right to do this what you have you have been sold a lie about what I could do and that to me was uh look I mean you know whatever you think of Mike Pence uh you know I'm not his biggest fan I don't think he's that great you know but I also think that he's someone who was faced with an enormous amount of pressure and responded in a way that I think that we have to appreciate and respect because, you know, I mean, it took, it took some stones, you know, he could have gone. Oh, yeah. How he, many he, other figures? He could have kicked the can How many on other this. figures could have done it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. He could have kicked the can on this. And, and, but then that goes back to like the, the point before it's like, uh, you know, God chose me for this moment. <laughs> and so, yeah. so that's why he's got to run. Um, but uh Oh, but just yeah, to, yeah. just to finish my Go thought, ahead. though, right? So you have DeSantis and Pence, and those guys—they're not part of any future Trump world. But for Haley, for for Tim Scott, and I love Tim Scott, and I think he is out of all of these guys. If I could pick somebody to beat Joe Biden, I think Tim Scott can get fifty-four, fifty-five percent in a national election against Joe Biden. I think his ceiling is higher than anybody else's. Um, but Haley Scott, uh, you know, Ramaswamy, you know, Christie obviously is part of the DeSantis Pence kind of, you know wing um you know, even asa hutchinson or doug burgum you know how you know those guys aren't gonna aren't gonna come at trump so you know how do you handle it where you have people in, in ramaswamy's case openly you know being there is sort of a um you know not necessarily a tag team partner but the the guy that's out there to make sure that trump has the steel chair when it comes to it you know when if things start going a little off the rails with DeSantis or christie you know how do you navigate that where these people may want to stay in because if they're if they're able to run a little bit more interference for 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 trump that means that they're more likely to become vice president or more likely to get the cabinet job that they want so i want to ask you about two things uh before we wrap up one is um there is a, a friday sit down in des moines uh or, organized by bob vanderplatz someone who we care about in four-year intervals um in Iowa that uh, is going to feature Tucker Carlson um, uh, with Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Chris Christie is not on that list. Uh, I wish he was um, because I think that would be more interesting. Uh, Tucker most recently sat down uh, for two and a half hours um, with one Andrew Tate, who, in case you are unfamiliar with his oeuvre, uh, is a fraud-based, misogynist, uh, sex trafficker, and pornographer who, for some reason, uh, Tucker really has a fascination with. But he has his bad points, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. He also uh, he also defends um, uh, uh, sex with uh, transgender people as being uh, something that is uh, part of allyship. 
Um, he, so, so, you know, he's not all bad, um, but anyway, he, uh, for some reason, Tucker wants to rehab this guy who's just a piece of shit, uh, like an absolute piece of shit, like someone who, who literally boasts about his crimes. And then what's even better is that it turns out that like every fast car that he claims to own in his videos is actually rented. Um, and all the women who show up in the videos are actually, paid prostitutes as opposed to you know, being women who are just you know part of his fan club and the like for some reason tucker carlson thinks this is really super awesome and should be promoted to people um and so uh he did two and a half hours as his uh as his can i just say your your litany about tate who i've blessedly been able to not not learn too much about in my life um reminds me of abe simpson the you know we we're, we're big fans of classic simpsons references here where it says my homer is not a communist he may be a liar <laughs> a pig an idiot a communist but he is not a porn star, porn star. <laughs> <laughs> so, go listen to the clip it's done better than I. <laughs> no, no it's great um uh, abe, abe simpson still my spirit animal um so the the uh, fact that Tucker is now going to sit down with these uh, uh, folks means that I'm sure he's going to question them and question them harshly, particularly, I expect, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, because he's probably going to try to you know, put her up as as the example of a neocon military industrial complex type, um, but maybe others as well. We'll see. Um, I'm just curious about how you think something like this is going to play, because uh, it's rare that you have the opportunity to have someone even a great interviewer like Tucker, um, and I do think he's a great interviewer, uh, kind of sit down and really ask tough questions of people who are running for president. Uh, and uh, and I think that, you know, at least in the real clear politics reporting about this, there's a lot of uh, nervousness among the candidate pool uh, about how this is going to turn out. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I'd say is what I'm looking for is I'm someone and I've I've uh, I've got friends who are friends with him. I'm I'm not a fan of him. My limited uh, social and professional interactions with him have been uniformly negative. Um, uh, but I've got friends who are, who are friends with him and really think a lot, a lot of him um, and are are who I respect. So uh, I, I but I've made the argument for a long time that um, he doesn't believe the things he says, which I think is I think is biggest sin sin. You know, um, he, he has this kind of bank shot strategy for for being an influencer and a thought leader on the right which is you know he's just asking questions and he says x because he actually wants you to believe y but he has to apply leverage towards x so that your position moves from z to y he has this very convoluted sense i i think of of the most effective way to communicate um with his audience and with you know it, it, relevantly to us potential voters you know who that I'll sounds a lot like dan is Anthony Fauci, who was telling people things that weren't quite true to pull yeah, them well, there's, to a place. There's that... a, yeah, there's a lot to that. Yeah, there's a, the, the the noble lie. I mean, there, you know, so anyway, what this I'll is all just for... Straussians fighting with other Straussians. Hey, kind of, right? Yeah, what, <laughs> what, what, I, what, I, what I'll be looking for is like he has an opportunity um, to embiggen, <laughs> to stick with the Simpsons uh, <laughs> theme, to embiggen DeSantis or to really make life hard for him and um i'll be interested to see what he does there because i think it'll tell us a lot about tucker it's, so it's, i don't think it'll you know it's just interesting to me because originally apparently this was just supposed to be a candidate forum and mm -hmm. then they kind of sprung it on them that like this is actually like an interview thing noah rothman writing at national review 
uh, said that uh, people should pull out because of it, uh, that they shouldn't do that. Uh, and he, of course, brought up the sort of the use of anti-Semitic tropes about uh, uh, President Zelensky and that kind of thing as, as reasons. I, I don't think that. I, I don't think you should pull out. I think that it's more just sort of treat it like any hostage. Uh, Treat it, you know, you want to kind of come, come into the come into the courtroom and, you know, permission to treat the witness as hostile. You know, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. not it's not a situation where you should never you know view this as, as a friendly conversation. Um, the before we go out uh, uh, and, and, and I know that you have a king uh, for the week, John, uh, which you can share with us in a moment. There was an interesting piece in Axios today about the number of big money donors who are backing both Ron DeSantis and RFK Jr. Um, and I knew David Sachs was doing this, but it turns out that there's actually like a number of other rich people who have done this as well, uh, where they have, you know, uh, maxed out to uh, both, um, uh, you know, RFK and DeSantis. Um, Alex Canant is quoted in the piece as saying that they are kind of like the quote super rich Joe Rogan crowd. Um, so I, I think that there's definitely some truth to that. But it makes me wonder if if DeSantis continues to sort of be like a stagnant property at around twenty percent, does more of that effort shift to RFK? Does it? you know, just logically sort of follow that, like, we actually think we could do more considering that the majority of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to even run again, uh, to muck up the Democrat field in, a, in kind of essentially a binary situation uh, versus a Republican field where there's a lot of people blocking Ron's, you know, uh, attempt to rise. Isn't that, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but I if the if the split or, or the double dipping with DeSantis and and Kennedy is primarily about vaccines, then I don't think that dynamic obtains. And I, I kind of suspect it is. I mean, you're talking about rich donors, but like, what's the other, what's the other point of commonality there in terms of worldview or, you know, it, it's a kind of, it's certainly a kind of, um, and I would say, case. I would say, I would say anti-military industrial complex, anti-Fauci, anti, uh, sort of, um, there's there's an anti-corporate element that's shared between yeah. the two of them. You know, uh, I think that that's definitely true. I mean, you know, I, 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 I just don't see those guys as strategic thinkers. You know what I mean? Like uh -huh. the 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 people who are who are doing that. I, I wonder if they're doing it for strategic reasons or if because they've got an idiosyncratic set of worldviews that those guys those two guys are are closest to. But it, it is. Very, I mean, it's very telling, right? I mean, I don't even. I wouldn't even call that horseshoe politics. It's just you know, there's no. The American po politics is just much less coherent than those of us who talk about it for a living pretend that it is. <laughs> John, do you have any thoughts? I, I just I don't get the fascination with Kennedy. And I, I think Sachs oh, really? and some of the other guys are, you know, they're smart guys. But like, you know, what? Why? Why? Like, what? what well, okay, well uh, let me play uh, uh, Kennedy advocate. I won't say devil's advocate. Uh I think that about 20% of the things that I hear come out of RFK's mouth strike me as just batshit. Um, at the same time, I would say that instinctively, he is sort of an, a, a um, an anti-corporate, pro-American leftist. 
who has more in common with say a uh, a Bill Maher than a AOC. Uh and so if if I'm you know sort of adjudicating it according to that it's like this is a guy who's probably not going to be down with the woke agenda on a number of different things. Um he's someone who you know, clearly believes that there are a lot of corporate entities that are, uh, you know, behaving in anti-American ways. Um, he cares about the environment. He cares about personal health in ways that I think are uh, both dubious, but also I think, you know, legitimate in terms of his uh, you know general attitude toward them. Uh, you know, I think he's, you know, uh, I'll give you one example. He was asked in the News Nation interview that he did uh, about, his plan when it came to dealing with the fentanyl crisis. And he had a more sophisticated answer and a more aware answer, especially using his own history of addiction than I've heard from any candidate for any office in the entire country. And so, you know, if you, if you care about those kinds of issues, I think that this is a guy who really appeals to you. Now, at the same time, I assume he's a conventional Democrat when it comes to virtually every other aspect of what his you know economic policy would be of of what you know i assume it wouldn't be that different from from joe biden uh but i think that if you care about kind of these different niche topics then he has a lot of appeal i mean you're kind of describing sort of like a rand paul on the left in some ways yeah and you know that that it failed the launch i i just i don't and rand paul had won an election um, you know, may have actually had won a couple of times at that point had, you know, I guess you can see, you know, the name, I mean, obviously the Kennedy name is gigantic in American politics more so than the Paul name, but I mean, the Paul name had at least in some Republican and libertarian circles, some resonance. Oh yeah. No, I mean, but, he came in, he, he actually, I mean, he overperformed significantly in the presidential stakes in 2012, mostly as a protest vote, but yeah. But there hasn't, so there hasn't been a lot of polling on, on the democratic side, but let's, let's look at the ones that, that we're clear has, and we'll set aside the national polls because there is not a national primary. Uh, 2024 Pennsylvania, Biden 71, Kennedy 17, Williamson five. Wisconsin, Biden 49, Kennedy nine, Williamson three. New Hampshire, St. Anselm, Biden 68, Kennedy nine, Williamson eight. I, I, why, why throw, why throw money at a guy? I mean, particularly when I, I don't think there's any reason to maybe, maybe once Joe Biden will get on the debate stage just to show that he is still, you know, will to prove his own claim that he's still at the top of his game and is, you know, fit and ready to serve another four years. But, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be the guy that's the, the, the current guy holding the belt. This is going to try to avoid haymakers for an hour or two. Um, and look, I, I think for a Democratic primary electorate, I, I think what you were describing, Ben, is the the positives of a Kennedy. You're basically talking about some left libertarians or basically the voters who switched from Obama to Trump in maybe some Rust Belt states, mm -hmm. which is enough to tip an election, maybe by a point or two in a general election, but that's nowhere near enough to to win a primary. So then, so that I I agree with your analysis completely my question though then becomes shouldn't democrats be doing everything they can to keep rfk a democrat i just don't it's, like where's his money come from to, to run yeah, a third party campaign it, it's tough i mean so yeah third party you can't obviously you can you can do your damage if rfk i'm sorry if rfk is a green there is no path like i mean 
if he if he ran on a independent ticket that had ballot access in the majority of states, that will absolutely screw them. And I mean, I just believe that, you know, so I, I would yeah, be working really hard right. to make sure that RFK is like, yeah, no, no, no. You need to be a Democrat. Stay a Democrat, please. So that uh, so, can beat you and then, you know, I, move on. I think he's absolutely got enough of a following to be a huge chaos agent. Certainly, you know, Nader, Nader plus. But I don't think the votes break down quite as neatly for the reasons you just stated. I mean, the the premise of this conversation was there are DeSantis Kennedy voters. So I he might cost Biden more votes than Trump, but really I just think it's he's an agent of chaos. I mean, um and and makes it anybody's race um and makes it you know scrambles the probably makes the polling useless. Uh scrambles a lot a lot about about the race. But I also think, you know, he's a cautionary tale because there's element there's this kind of paranoid style that is about a third, a quarter to a third of both political coalitions, the Democrats and Republicans. And you can argue about when that paranoid subset of voters becomes the senior partner in a coalition. Like ideally, if you're running a party, you want those people to stay in the tent and you want them to behave as junior partners and you throw them some bones and you indulge their rhetoric and you pat them on the head and you're generally condescending towards their problems. But it can very quick, they can very quickly become the senior partner because there's a lot of them. And, you know, there's not there's not a, a single majority block that can stop them. So it almost becomes, you know, European Parliament style, where if if that element can get in league with a couple of other bits in your coalition, all of a sudden they're in the driver's seat and you're the ones trying to win wrestle control of the party back. So it's definitely playing with fire. I think the Republicans um, have obviously had similar issues in the last 10, 15 years. So it's not it's not it's one of those things where three dimensional chess can blow up in your face. All right. For John, for Dan, uh, this has been Thunderdome. I'm Ben Dobinich. Uh, you should subscribe to our newsletters over at thespectator.com. We will be back next week with more to continue to analyze this ridiculous uh, high-stakes election uh, that will determine the course of all of our lives and whether we survive as a planet or not. <laughs>